Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. Hi everyone, it's a great pleasure for us to be able to welcome the Reverend Marcus Ardern. Of course, he's no stranger to all of those of us here at Metro Church. Marcus has been a visitor, a guest minister here uh, many times over all the years, and we love Marcus and love the wisdom that God has given him. And uh, tonight I've asked Marcus if he would speak to us about end times and what it means. Of course, there's a lot of talk at the moment about end times. Are we in the end times? Is COVID a part of all of that? So many people have got these kinds of questions. There's theories and questions, conspiracy theories abounding. And that shouldn't be any surprise. The early disciples asked Jesus in Matthew 24, says, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So let's welcome Reverend Marcus Ardern. Great to have you with us, Marcus. Thank you for joining us. Can I start with that? Because I know that not just in the church, but people even outside are asking you questions about, is this the end? Uh, Well, I believe that it's end days, but I don't believe that it means the final days. And and which is interesting because sometimes in Scripture, when it talks about uh, the end times, it means this point in history at the end of the story thus far. It doesn't necessarily mean the termination of days. The end of days doesn't necessarily mean that days have ceased. Only we have come to this point and we're looking back. So, uh, for example, in Hebrews 9, it talks about how Jesus is manifest at the end of days, but it's not really saying uh, that that's proof that it's the last day. It's just saying he has now appeared. It has now come about. This part of the story is complete. But there are other expressions in Scripture that indicate there is a time period starting at Pentecost where you have Peter saying, this is the last day that Joel spoke about. I will pour out my spirit. But then you have Jesus in Mark 13 and elsewhere talking about how time will come at the very end of time, at the end of the age, when there'll be a last harvest. And you have him saying this gospel will be preached in all the world for a witness, and then the end will come. So there clearly is an end. There's a termination point. But sometimes when the expression end is there, like if I'm talking to non-Christians, they're used to war games and things with Armageddon and final days and extinction of mankind, annihilation of the planet and all these sort of things, and they tend to not mean the last period of mankind's history. They tend to mean, is the story going to end? Is the whole thing going to be over? Are we all going to be annihilated? Because if you believe that, there's no hope. You might as well give up if everything's going to be ruined forever. Yes, so... So what do you think the signs are that we, like anything could be a sign to some people. Yes. And COVID or 
pandemics, earthquakes, all these things, they are mentioned in Scripture as being a part of an end-day scenario. But what are the things that we need to take notice of? Well, 2 Timothy 3 has got a long list of character faults of people at the end, uh, and they will be on the increase. They are things that, as you rightly point out, have been there for thousands of years. But evil men, for example, will be imposters and waxing worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Uh, there have always been imposters, but there'll be some amazing ones at the end. Uh, uh, we're, we're told that some will be like a revival of the occult, like Jans and Jambres, who were um, magicians in the days of Moses, and it says, but their folly will be revealed to everybody. So there'll be a revival of the occult, but there'll be an unmasking of it too. And you've got other statements in Scripture that there'll be family breakdowns on a massive scale, and the love of many will grow cold. That's the agape love of many will grow cold. But also that human love, it says they, they won't um, find natural affections. They'll be hostile. They'll be unforgiving. They'll be implacable. And wow. yet right alongside of that, there are other prophecies saying, in the very last day, the spirit of Elijah will restore sons to fathers and fathers to sons, so at the same time there's family breakdowns taking part at the end, there'll be family restorations to a huge level. There's also, no matter what happens, Jesus saying, uh, Lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. You'll never, you'll never face anything on your own. You'll never be on your own uh, wondering where the help is because God will be mightily with his people. And you, there are passages in the Old Testament like uh, Isaiah 61, Great darkness covers the face of the people, so there's consternation and there's lostness out there. But the light of God shines upon his own people, mm. and so increasing light for the believers and increasing darkness for unbelievers. So that's what I expect to see. Also, I think at the end times there will be great gatherings because one of the things when Jesus gives the story of the wheat and the tears, he says, before the judgment, so not at the judgment, before the judgment, people will be gathered into bundles, some ready to be burned and some to go into the harvest. So I expect that one of the things at the end of the age will be cries for collectivism, that we should form tribes and sub-tribes and we should all find each other and connectedness, whether for good or for evil, is going to be one of the things we're going to hear. So, yeah, there, there are things like that that I expect. Second uh, Timothy 3 and 4 is well worth reading for a list of what to expect at the end, but the other scriptures that you've already mentioned, like Matthew 24 and so on, Luke, uh, Daniel, Zechariah, they all talk about end times. And often there's a principle of first fruits and last fruits too, that first fruits, there's like a trial run of the Antichrist. So you have your Idi Amins and your Hitler and your all these people, but the man of sin won't be revealed until there's a great apostasy, a great falling away. With that, uh, people with hypocritic religions, you know, who will have a form of godliness denying the power thereof. And Scripture says, "Don't walk with him." When it happens, don't walk with him. Jesus says too that there'll be 
a revival of religious interest at the end where there'll be false Christs. There'll be there'll be two levels that I can see there. One is that there will be people pretending to be Christ and others saying that Christ, even the true Christ, has come when he hasn't. So there'll be predictions that there is a Christ already appeared, and there'll be, a, and it has already happened. I mean, in Jewish circles, there've been at least thirteen messiahs have appeared and come and gone from time to time. You, oh, there's so many questions I'd love to ask you here, but one of the interesting points you just raised there is that, as we often think of end times in terms of doom, bad things. Yes. It's all out in the world, and yet you are have mentioned a couple of times that there's also the promise of harvest, oh yes, uh, and the increase of light, uh, which is the revelation of God for believers. Can you talk about that for a minute? Um, the good things that will happen at the end, you mean? Yeah. Well, one of the parting promises of Jesus, he said, upon this rock I will build my church. So I believe in church building directly inspired from heaven by Jesus himself at work in the church, that the church is going to be built up. And uh, Peter talks about we're built together as living stones for the purpose of worship to offer up sacrifices. So I believe in the ongoing work of the Holy Ghost in the church to increase the church's reliance on God's own presence and help, and that we'll see more and more of it. If there is to be an end-time harvest at the levels that are uh, suggested in the Word, uh, there's going to be drastic releases of the Holy Spirit anointings on the church at the end. I don't think that... um, it means there won't be ungodliness or suffering. There already is. Uh, the The major countries where Islam has got control are where the major persecutions are happening of Christians at the moment. But I don't think Islam is the problem. I, I think the main thing, the cure, is the gospel going out. Some time ago, I, on a personal level, this is not scripture, this is just personal, I was looking at Van Gogh's picture of the crows in the cornfield and I was thinking about false religions and demons and oppositions to the gospel and tempted to despair. And I felt the Lord was saying to me very clearly, when the harvesters go in, the crows will fly upward. Just get on with proclaiming the gospel. Just get on with evangelizing. Just get on with feeding the people the knowledge of the Lord. And if you deal with the positive you know, you don't sweep the light out, you turn the light on. You don't sweep the darkness out, you turn the light on. You don't sweep it out with a broom. You you proclaim the gospel and darkness scuttles away and that's the thing to do. And I've seen it at work. When I was in Amsterdam uh, working with Youth with a Mission, there was a devil temple there and it was said to be promoting child pornography and all sorts of things and there was a lot of prostitution, drug addiction in the red light district. And right next to it, Youth with a Mission opened up a outreach centre. And they didn't waste their time binding and loosing and commanding and being preoccupied with what was happening in the Devil's Temple. It had a goat's head on the door and it had a pentagon and all that sort of thing. 
they just got on with preaching the gospel and loads of people got saved and loads of people left the kingdom of darkness and came into God's marvelous light. Because there's power in the gospel itself. It is the power of God unto salvation. Uh, we don't have to turn the devil off in order to succeed. Wow, very good. You know, I believe in victory, but I believe we shouldn't be preoccupied with darkness. We should be preoccupied with the Lord himself and his promises because they're, they're for now. They're for us. We won't need them in heaven. We need them now. I'll come back to that in a minute, but can I just ask you, because I know that at the moment, like has happened at similar periods in history, there are people predicting the year, the month, That's or right. whatever, that Jesus is coming back. Talk to us about that. Well, there's great dangers in that. In history, there were the Millerites who were um, predecessors of what became Seventh-day Adventism. There were the Jehovah's Witnesses saying that Jesus was coming in 1914. Uh, there were The Millerites went up a mountain to wait for Jesus coming back and they wore ascension robes and he never came. Uh, so doctrine gets changed and revised. And there have been various sects and cults have predicted days of the coming of the Lord and they've got it down to a fine-tooth comb. And when they have it like that, people are looking for, they're craving certainty. And that's one of the appeals of uh, conspiracy theories and things is that the more supposed facts you learn, the more learned you and wise you appear to be. And these people have uh, learned their scripts very, very well, but it doesn't come about. And and the word also says at the end, uh, men will be mockers and scoffers and they'll be saying, where is the promise of his coming? Everything continues the same as it did at the very beginning. So you've got a combination of mockers and scoffers who would scoff even if everything was happening on target. And then you've got the fake messiahs and the fake days of the Lord's arrival. Uh, it makes sense. If a deceiver is trying to make people cynical about the Lord's return, then the the fake gospels of end times are needed, you know, because it sows confusion. And God is not the author of confusion, but of order, yeah. as in all the churches of the saints, the word says. I often, when I hear stories like this, I ask myself, what is the fruit in the lives of those that are embracing that teaching or that idea, that whatever? And... Often I say, well, there's the fruit of fear. Yes, of that's right. panic. And I think, well, that is not the fruit of the Holy Spirit because Galatians tells us the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life is love and joy and peace and all the others that are there. And I find that helps me winnow out these things. Even if I can't be certain of all the facts of who's doing what, I can look at the fruit emotionally in someone's life or in their mind and thereby make a decision as to whether that's something worth considering. Most times, I just dismiss it quite quickly. Yes, I absolutely agree. And uh, in the book of Proverbs, it says, you know, passion is rottenness to the bones. When people become over-intense in their religion, they become fruit loops, they become weird. Um, and you've, I've seen people go into burnout that way, that they've got so preoccupied uh, 
for example, there was a young fellow in America who committed suicide over the national debt of trillions. He was 19. Now, he needn't have died. It didn't help the national debt. It didn't help the situation. But he got so het up, he went into a sort of white-hot heat emotionally over it. And I've known people feel the same on end times. I've known people that have, young people who have dropped out of university, dropped out of bank accounts, emptied their bank accounts, thrown up their savings for the future. Basically because of a wrong, het-up view of end times, thinking, well, it's all over or nearly over, so there's no point in getting married, there's no point in finishing education, there's no point in savings, there's no point in sowing or harvesting or anything, uh, and so they just give up. But there'll be a lot of people who continue on things preparing as if the world will never end, and they'll be taken by surprise too, because one of the things Jesus said, it will be like days of Noah, mm. where people are preoccupied with building houses, construction, merchandising, marriages, raising families. So there will be people who have a sense of the future who are still deceived. But if you go to the opposite end of the extreme, then you... You just live totally alone. If if you become nihilistic or thinking there's no hope, there's no reason, there's no logic, mm -hmm. uh, then one of the marks given in the Second Timothy three passages that people will be narcissists. They will be self-absorbed. They will be full of self-love, and then as a result of the self-love, later on, they become lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And really, there's a logical consequence if there is no hope. If everything is final, everything is extinction, everything's going to end, and we've run out of time and solutions and there are irredeemable problems, if we really believe that, then you might as well just live for your own pleasure and for yourself. So it feeds right into selfishness. Hopelessness feeds either into selfishness and rebellion or into suicide, one or the other. And we're seeing both on a widespread level already. So... One of the things Jesus spoke to his disciples was, occupy till I come. Yes. And you've been pointing us in that direction right through this session about whatever the season we're in, whatever the escalation of signs appears to be, what does that mean to you? What, what advice do you give Christians? What should we be doing in a time like this? Well, Occupy Till I Come, I would advise people to Google Bible Hub, Occupy Till I Come, and then they'll see the domain of meaning of Occupy. Uh, as I understand it, not just confined to Bible Hub, but elsewhere, the occupation means to take your stand, to erect or construct something lasting, or to make use of what you have. Now, if that's what it means to occupy, until the Lord comes, it means we should get on with what we've got that we're able to use and enjoy. So we should use the technological means we've got to get the gospel out. We should use our present voice. We should redeem the present time because the days are evil. We should use whatever's about us. And I believe that if I'm a happy, rejoicing Christian and I'm generous to others and I'm feeding the poor and I'm proclaiming the gospel and I'm acting as if the Lord is coming, uh, then I'm a sign, but I'm also enjoying the Lord and my life and the Lord's mm. goodness. Uh, 
I, th I think Joel Osteen is right that we ought to show the world that we're blessed people. We should bless them and we should allow the Lord's blessing on our own lives as a sign so that people can look and go, look what the Lord has done for them. You know, he frees a person that well. He provides that well. You know, well, he, one of the things you said, said there was about the harvest yes. increasing in the end times. And it seems to me that that is the case. But therefore then, anything that gets me involved with harvest for Christ, anything that gets me to be reaching out, loving people, yes. sowing great seeds about Jesus for people, that that obviously is going to help position me best whatever the distance between now and the final day is, harvest is going to be a part of that landscape. What's interesting when Jesus talked about the end of the age, speaking to his present-day disciples who are all dead, he said, what I'm saying to you, I'm saying to everybody, be on the alert, be ready for his return. So he knew they'd be extinct. I mean, of course, they'll be resurrected. But he says, what I'm saying to you, disciples, I'm also saying to them, be on the ready. So we should all be, I believe in the ready, the any moment appearing of the Lord, and that I should always be ready. But I wouldn't be surprised to get a letter from the Queen when I turn 100. You know, I don't know which one's going to happen. Let me jump in. I, I look forward to seeing it. But let me jump in there, because what you're saying is, even if it's sooner than we think, we ought to be making long-range plans. Um, yes, we that's exactly what I mean. building for the future, because none of us know how quickly or how far away it is. That's right. Well, in terms of gospel proclamation, we should pray, we should pay, or we should go into all the world and preach the gospel. So one of those three, pray, pay, or go, either support those who go if you can't go, uh, or go yourself, or support those who are already doing a good job and need help. And, you know, God uses us as, our, as his hands and feet on earth, and we're well able to serve one another through love, and we're we're able to do those things. You know, that's the Lord didn't just come and give a great message when he came to earth. He actually served his disciples and washed their feet and told us to do the same. And he said, I'm among you as one who serves. If the Lord's coming, we should all serve each other with all our might. We should do what we can to encourage each other, to bless each other, supply each other, help each other win. Talking to a friend this morning about the scripture in uh, Psalm 20, you know, we'll rejoice in the day that we see your victories and we will set up our ba banners. And I love the thought of rejoicing in other people's successes. You know, mm. you can help other Christian workers succeed if you pitch in behind them and help them. And I've been the right. rece recipient of that. I've been amazed at the faithfulness of God's people to get God's work done, even if they don't do it themselves, but they do it in another mm. way by supplying it or praying for it or encouraging you when you're down or refreshing you when you feel like giving up. All of us can do that. We can all serve each other. We can all nurture the whole body of Christ in the end times, especially as the hostility to the gospel increases. We need to be encouraging each other more than we've ever done. Very true. And, yeah, that's, that's where I stand on it. Marcus, 
I'm going to ask you to pray for everyone that's a part of this service, particularly if you would pray for people, and I know numbers like this where there's a certain level of anxiety or even fear, worry about the times we live in because there's so much confusion, etc., around about. Yes. And I believe, like, we could never answer everyone's question about every scripture in one session at all. But I think what you've given us in this service has been really helpful to push away some of the sideline stuff and help us to zero in and go, okay, this is what I need to be about. So can I ask you please to pray for us all? I'll right. gladly do that. I, I found my non-Christian friends saying things like, they're turning the TV or the radio off because it fills them with fear. Now, they know they've got fear, but we know what the answer to fear is. You know, perfect love casts out all fear. So we can minister the love to them, show them where to find the love and who's offering the love, and then the fear will go. But the, the need is there. There's a ready market rating right there. But anyway, I will pray. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our God and you have promised to be the stability of our times. We thank you that you're perfect in everything you allow and everything you permit and you have warned us what how the end will be and you've said that you'll strengthen your people, you'll help them. You've said that underneath are the everlasting arms. You've said that you will equip us to do what you've asked us to do. You never give impossible commands and yet you told us to go into all the world and make disciples so we can do it with your help. Father, I pray that there will be great outpourings of strengthenings mm. and confirmations yeah. and amens that happen to your people, that they get reassured that their cause is right and that the end is certain in the way that you said it will be and it will all end in success and it will all end in you coming back and you will receive the harvest that you died for and you will see the the fulfillment of all that was promised to you if you would endure the cross for our sake. You have done it. You have paid the right price, and the reward is yours. We pray that the Lamb will receive uh, all the results of the payment he made with his blood, and those souls will be saved, and we'll all see it together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Marcus, it's such a great joy to talk with you again. I really hope sometime in the not-too-distant future you'll actually be able to come visit us again. We'd love to see you. Good. Thank you so much. And a big shout-out, by the way, to Pastor Bill Scullard. Uh, thank you for all your help with this as well. God bless you. Thanks, Marcus. Thanks. Thanks, Pastor Bill. Never know, you might hear about it. As I said on that uh, interview... And that was one day after lockdown, by the way, in Queensland. We weren't even sure that Marcus would be able to be interviewed. Uh, but it ended the day before we were able to get that done. It's impossible to cover all the areas. Books have been written on it. And I've heard whole seminars and teaching series that have gone on for ages about end times. But I hope that out of that, it's helped you to sort out some of the periphery and a centre in on what's the most important thing. No one knows how long or when, but however, we can be certain of something. Let me read this to you in John 14, verse 1. It says, Let not your heart be troubled. 
you'd almost think Jesus was taking it out of the newspapers of the past year and a half, wouldn't you? Let not your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart stray into the place of concern, of worry, of anxiety. You believe in God, then believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it wasn't so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I'll receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. There is so much packed into those four verses where Jesus begins addressing the human side of when pressures and problems arise and when the world seems to be out of control. And He brings us back and He says, start with what you believe. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then He jumps all the way forward past all of the difficulty and past all of the problems and all of the we don't knows and says, here's another thing you can be certain of. Not just the beginning of faith, but you can be certain right through to the end of time that when it finishes, I will be there waiting for you. When it's all said and done, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to take you where I am. I'm preparing a place for you. And then he says this, and where I go, you know, and the way you know. I left out verse 5. It's probably one of my favourite things because it's Thomas. We call him Thomas the Doubter. Thomas says, but Lord, we don't know where you're going. And how can we know the way? And I love that. He was the only one who spoke up. All the rest of us sitting there going, well, we're not sure. But one guy, the doubting guy, is the only one who's honest enough. Sometimes your doubts are actually, they're a gift in that at least you're honest enough to say, I don't know. And therefore, I think then it makes what Jesus says in reply even so much the more poignant, so much the more striking. Verse 6, He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Can I say to you that if you don't know Christ, that what you need is not another religion. You don't need another philosophy. You don't need another theory. You don't need another uh, maybe. You don't need another guru. What you need is the one who said, I've been there. I was there at the beginning. I'll be there at the end. One of the names of Jesus is Alpha and Omega. He says, I started it. I'll be there at the finish of it all. And in between, He gave His life for every single one of us. I love this so much. I love that Christianity is not a set of rules. I love that being a follower of Jesus is exactly and simply that. It's being a follower of Jesus. Honestly, any of us that are here in the service that know Christ, that's all we're doing. We don't present as people that have figured it all out. We simply will say, we're following Jesus. Every day, we're following Jesus. Every week, we're following Jesus. Every season, whatever it looks like, when everybody was saying how great the world was, there are books written about how much better our time of life is than at any other point of human history. But right now, we're in a different season of that. But can I tell you, we're still the Saviour. He says He's the same yesterday and today 
and will be forever regardless. If you don't know Christ, oh, I would implore you. I would urge you with everything in my being. I still remember the moment and it was but a moment. And I, I wonder what it was that brought me to the point of yes. Sure, there was some emptiness that I'd become aware of inside. There was some dead end, some detour, some things that I tried and discovered they didn't satisfy. But I also remember being in that moment and, and it had to be the Holy Spirit. That's why when we get to this point where we invite you to say yes to Christ, can I say to you, it's always more than about persuasion. It's about knowing that the Holy Spirit is at work in people's hearts. If you want to say yes to Christ, it's so easy. Let me help you. If you're in Australia, you're in this service, in this building, you just text YES, Y-E-S, to 0488826392. If you're on metrochurch.online right now, the YES button's there. You just click on it. Just tap it. If you want to get our help and our encouragement, that's what you'll get. If you want that via email, then it's yes.metrochurch.org.au and people that are in this church. Matter of fact, they're sitting right in front of me. Someone I know this morning during the service said, yes, I want to follow Christ. And there'll be people, other uh, people during the week as well. And when that happens, the next morning, our Western Standard Time at around 7 a.m., they'll be sending out to you that Bible verse different every day, that prayer different every day to help you begin to do what we're all doing, which is saying, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Can I pray for you? Heavenly Father, thank you for every person. There are people, Lord, that have kind of given up, Lord, because they got hurt, they got wounded, they got offended. Something didn't work out the way they want. Other people, Lord, have turned away from you because they've grown up with religion and thought it was just all empty. But Lord, right now, by the Holy Spirit, you are touching hearts and lives. There are people right now that I know they're hearing a voice within my voice. They're hearing something on the inside say, this is for you. Say yes, say yes, say yes. Lord, I pray for them that as they bring their yes to you, we'll receive it via that text or email or via that online platform. But in truth, Lord, before we even get it, as fast as that is, it'll go to you first. You will respond to them. They say, yes, Jesus, come into my life. You'll be there coming into their life. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen and amen. God bless you as you do that, as you give your yes to Christ, as Marcus spoke about. And that's the third time that I have uh, been a part of that. And I'll tell you, every time I've, I've uh, been a part of that in the interview itself, and then twice since I've been a part of, of that, uh, it's just blessed me every single time. I think it's going to become one of the most going, gone back to of all the services that we've done. And it stays up there on YouTube, of course, so you can get that whenever you want. By the way, because I know lots of people in our church love Reverend Marcus Ardern. We are hoping that when time permits, you'll be able to come here and be uh, uh, physically present with us. But we've already sent a love offering on behalf of the church across to Marcus. But I know that others of you here might go, well, I want to bless Marcus. All you've got to do when you do your giving for that, just put in the subject line or whatever. Go and see them at the Connect Hub. Just put in love offering or Marcus, M-A-R-C-U-S. 
uh, whatever, or end times even, if you put that in. We'll send every single dollar off to Marcus. We always do. It's part of the integrity of our church that we never take anything out of it. We just want to be a blessing. So uh, if you want to do that, that'd be great. One of the other things that's such a blessing is communion. Please come if you would. And uh, again, we invite you. Maybe you were in the service this morning. Thank you. Maybe you're in the service this morning, but you would again like to receive communion with us. Then the host team are going to come. Begin to serve. Uh, just take a piece of the bread that's in a separate cup for you. Take the cup as well of the juice there. And then hold that in a minute. We're going to stand and we're going to eat and drink together as a family of God. But while we're doing that, because I love that verse where it says this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 verse 8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I love the fact that this table says something because there was a time when I could not have received it as a believer. There was a time when you could not have partaken of this as a believer. You might have taken it, but you wouldn't have known what it was about. And yet even in that time before you knew Christ, He knew you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to recognise with me tonight or today, wherever it is where you are, that one of the things that this piece of bread and this cup say about you and about me is this. Think about it. Jesus saw something in you that no one else could. He calls Simon Peter. Everyone else calls him Simon. Simon's name literally means a reed. When you track his life, you discover how easily swayed he was by the people around about him. But when Jesus calls him, he sees something in him that no one else sees. He says, from now on, you're going to be called Peter, the rock. Then begins to declare something about this man's life that no one else could see. Even the people that knew him well, they just thought that's just Peter. He's always a bit loose and goes off and he's so impulsive. And yet Jesus saw someone that he could use to build, someone that would be there on the day of Pentecost and declare the Gospel, someone that would be there in Acts 10 and open up the doors of the Kingdom for the Gentile people as well as the Jews. And you think about that and you go, how great is God that He sees something about you? I know lots of you that are here in the building and I know that God saw something in you that no one else saw. Everyone else saw your intellect. They might have seen your scholastic achievement. They might have seen your prowess, your gift, your talent. That was so obvious in so many ways. And yet I hear Nikki up here preaching and I'm going, that's a lot more than a good ballerina right there. Amen. That's a lot more there than someone who's developed a gift and a talent and a skill to be able to do all that she does. There's more to it than that. And I think about you and about where your life's at. And I go, I thank God that Jesus saw something in me and saw something in you that no one else saw, amen. Come on, can we stand together for a minute? Can I ask you, wherever you are and the team, we received this earlier, so don't think they're not wanting to partake. We did this earlier.
can I just ask you before we eat, before we drink, could you just take a minute and say, Jesus, thank you for seeing something in me that no one else saw. Thank you for believing that my life could be more than what it appeared to be. I'm so grateful. You look beyond my weakness. You look beyond my brokenness. You look beyond my frailty. And instead of all that, you said, look, this is what I see, a new creature in Christ. I see more than a conqueror. I see a king and a priest. God, we're grateful for all that you have that we know nothing about. Your hand on our life is so incredibly valuable. We love that we're walking with somebody who's not our schoolmaster, not someone who's simply our judge, but we're walking with our Saviour every day. Thank you for that, Lord. We eat and drink with gratitude and expectant hearts for the future. In Jesus' Name, let's eat and drink. so good absolutely so great well look I hope that tonight that helped you helped Santa you I don't know about the rest of you but I go away with about a thousand questions I was watching that again tonight going I want to do a part two and then maybe a part three and a part four and what about this and what about the four horsemen what about all this and uh I know there's so many things that we can be a part of. Hey, listen, something that's great. I've got to help you with this. I've got to let you know about this. Some of you are here this morning, maybe, and you got to see the tremendous result of Destiny Offering. Please be seated for a minute, by the way. Uh, it's just one of the special things in the life of Metro. I do not know if you've been a part of it over the last couple of weeks. You would know how low-key uh, we presented we present it, we trust with integrity and with significance. We believe in it, but there's no hype about it. We're not trying to capitalise on someone's emotional state and impulse. We're saying, go and pray. Ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to invest over the next 12 months over and above my regular giving? And uh, well, I want to just, but here, 
Just watch the video and see what God has done. Here it is. That is absolutely amazing. 291,524 dollars. And uh, I know there are still people who haven't yet made their commitment, haven't been able to, and so I'm confident that that'll just continue to rise. And we'll give another update in a few weeks' time. There's so much happening and so much going on. I'm excited about what God is doing in our church, what uh, He's doing in the lives of people. So many miracles are taking place. And I'm excited about it. I'm believing for uh, this next season for all of you, everyone that says, this is my home. Uh, thank you for joining with us. Thank you for believing with us. And uh, we're praying for you then over the next 12 months as you see God bless you and you see that uh, provision, that supply, come through. If you haven't been a part of it yet and you want to be, there's still room for you. Never think to yourself, well, in the light of such a huge amount, really, mine would be so small. Please never think like that. Remember, there was 120 in the upper room and you only know 14 names. Uh, everyone counts. So I'd love you to be a part of it. And uh, everybody gets to take part. So thank you to everyone who's done that already, though. I think it's incredible. I think it's really, really amazing. And I'm looking forward to seeing what God is going to unpack, uh, all the opportunity that that represents and the faith and the obedience that's a part of that. That's for sure. All right. Listen, time's well and truly gone. Pastor Bruce is getting ready for ministry time in the studio. Uh, for those of you that are in the building, this is the final night. You get to vote for the top three. And Luke, who's a chef, and me, who's not, we didn't make it. Our soups never got up. I don't know how that happened. Obviously, being the senior pastor carries no clout at all. Uh, when it comes to that, it's very democratic. And being a top chef means nothing. And by the way, come out here, Luke and Nikki. Come out a minute. Just say hi. Oh, come out for a second. Here they both are. This Saturday is your... Yeah, we love you. This Saturday, your Connect Group Saturday morning, is it? What time? 10 a.m. 10 a.m. at your place here in Perth. It's no point joining it. Well, you could join it online, but you'd miss out on the food that the chef provides. But uh, if you want to know more about that, just go to info at metrochurch.org.au. We'll send you the details of that. Thank you so much. Fantastic. Hey, here's Pastor Fowl online. Thank you, Metro. So good to share communion with all great timely encouragement from Nikki and Pastor Marcus. Love you guys. Yeah. Great. Here's another one from Mavis. Thanks, Marcus, for this reassuring message. Alan always enjoyed Marcus sharing his godly wisdom in such a gentle way. That's true. And uh, thank you for facilitating the questions that are close to our heart.